on the last complicit. This is not her M.O. She would never, ever just disappear and go months without speaking to her family, without contact with her daughter. Absolutely not. She had posted a picture of herself in a bathing suit from a couple of years ago. Thursday the 18th, and then poof, she went off social media. I almost feel like she went off the grid. Lauren was allegedly last seen on June 19th, 2020. Her boyfriend says he kissed her goodbye that morning and never saw her again. Cape Coral Police reported that an anonymous man says he saw her that morning walking down the street. And I said, the girl you're supposedly in love with and engaged to has not been home and is missing. And you're not going to be there or go looking for her and see if she comes home. I said, I got a big problem with all of this. After three days of no one seeing or hearing from law enforcement, a missing persons case is filed. Law enforcement gets involved, and Lauren's missing persons case gets upgraded from missing person to missing and endangered. The search for Lauren is on. I'm not going to stop until I find out what happened to my daughter. Lauren DeMolo vanished without a trace on June 19th. A new clue in the disappearance of this Cape Coral woman. Police say Lauren DeMolo could be in danger. That clue is Lauren DeMolo's purse. Someone found it here at the park on June 19th, the same day she was last seen at her apartment. Where is Lauren DeMolo? I'm Hillary Wadsworth. And I'm Caitlin Boddy. And you're listening to Complicit. Chapter 4, Not Just a Walk in the Park. By now, Lauren had been missing for six days, maybe seven. On Wednesday, June 24, 2020, Lauren's case was assigned to Detective Jones with the Cape Coral Police Department, and he had elevated Lauren's status to missing and endangered. But now what? Her family's anxiety grew more and more each day. Well, most of her family, that is. But they certainly weren't sitting around doing nothing while Lauren was out there somewhere. They buckled down and channeled their energy into their search efforts. On Thursday, June 25th, Paul, Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt went back to Lauren's apartment to search again for clues. They walked the same steps as Lauren did each day, to the park and back. They searched every inch of Fort Freedoms Park. They talked to anyone they saw. They went to the local bus station, all the stores along Coronado Parkway, gas stations, and Lauren's job. She hadn't picked up her last paycheck. The police were able to determine that on Thursday, June 18th, the day before she went missing, or maybe the day she did go missing, Lauren had been applying for new jobs all around town, She was seen on bus cameras and on surveillance cameras getting applications at these potential places of employment. Lauren was a professional restaurant server. She had two jobs and had recently lost one of them due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Her second job also let her go, but we'll explain what happened there in a bit. Let's get back to the search. We went to Lauren's apartment. 
just to like look, see if she had come home for whatever reason. And then we just started going, like we just started searching. We started at the park. We would do like the same pattern every day. We would start at Lauren's house, see if there'd been any changes to like anything like surrounding it. And then we would go to the park because we knew that Lauren frequented that park. When I got there, I went to the bus stop where she went and took the bus to work all the time. And there were people sitting outside that knew her from being on that bus with her. And they were like, she was always the most happy and most, you know, nicest person. It was always, always had something nice to say to you and always was smiling. And But no one had seen her since Thursday, June 18th. No one knew she was missing, only that they hadn't seen her around in a while. We all grabbed some flyers and we were like, okay, let's just walk down all the blocks that like lead to Lauren's apartment. If we saw people, we'd be like, hey, have you seen this girl? Or we would just like, we saw people outside, we would go like to their front porch and be like, can we come up? Like, have you seen this girl? People didn't even know that there was a girl missing in their own neighborhood. That's scary because also at this point, it wasn't even on the news. On Saturday, June 27th, Paul and Cassie were following what had become their new routine, starting the day at Lauren's apartment, seeing if anything new had come to light, and then pounding the pavement in hopes of finding Lauren. We would start our days like Lauren would. Like, we would start at her apartment, and then we would go to the park. So it was Saturday that my dad and I were like, all right, let's go to Lauren's house, see if there's any changes, and then we'll go to the park, and we'll just drive around the area. And then something made them stop in their tracks. My dad and I were like, what the fuck? And when we pulled in, there was a sheriff boat in the water with a diver on it. There were like two other hot boats in the water with divers on it. There was a big van that said Cape Coral Police Department dive team. There was a sheriff's truck. And we pulled up and we're like, is this for Lauren? Like, is she in the water? Me and Cassie went to the park, unbeknownst to either one of us, and the divers were in the world looking for my daughter. So I sat there for over an hour and a half while they were out there, and there was a, one of their boats parked on the side with their radio on, so I could hear everything that they were saying. And I sat there waiting for them to pull my daughter out of the water, thinking that she was in the water. The whole thing was horrible. My dad was like, well, that's my daughter. And I'm like, yeah, that's my sister. They were like, oh, we're so sorry. But they were like, but we didn't find anything. So, you know, no news is good news. Paul and Cassie were momentarily relieved. Lauren wasn't in the water. Detective Jones spoke with them later on that day to explain why they weren't informed in advance of the search. It's not the Cape Coral Police Department's practice to give anyone advance notice of an official search, especially one as dramatic as an underwater search. They didn't want the press showing up. And besides, it was still an active investigation, so they weren't showing all their cards not even to the family. Almost a full week had gone by without a dive team, without an official police search. So why now? Detective Jones did have some more news. We haven't told you this yet, but her purse was found in the park here on Saturday the 20th. Lauren's medium-sized black shoulder bag had been turned in to a Fort Freedoms Park ranger by a park goer that previous Saturday, June 20th, the day after she went missing two days after her last contact with family and friends. We don't know who turned it in. Her wallet was in her purse, though it was unclear if any cash was missing. And her ID was there, which is how they knew it was Lauren's bag. But there was more. 
right next to her purse and also turned in that same Saturday the 20th were her shoes and the keys to her apartment. But there was something missing. Her wallet was in there, her keys were in there, everything was in there, except her phone. Her cell phone, if you remember, was in Gabby's possession, which he gave to Matt after he showed up to Lauren's apartment to get his TV when Matt, Lindsay, and Cassie were conveniently there. And just to remind you, it was unusual for Lauren to leave her phone behind. Aunt Sue did a little investigating of her own. She asked Victor if he noticed anything out of the ordinary that previous Saturday, June 20th the day Lauren's purse and other belongings were found. Victor had also worked on Saturday. Victor would always pick up Gabby. But that morning, Victor walked downstairs and Gabby was coming from the park. And the park is right across the street from my sister's apartment. And Victor said he was right there and said, I thought I was picking you up. And he said, no, I was looking for Lauren. And he said that's how when he found out that Lauren did not come home. Paul decided to stay in Cape Coral until he got some answers. Paul basically had uprooted his life to find his daughter, his firstborn. Paul, Cassie, and Lindsay spent the next several days continuing the search, talking to local business owners, talking to Lauren's friends, talking to bus drivers, searching again, everywhere. Remember, Lauren didn't have a car and didn't drive, so it was logical to start with her apartment and go out from there. No one had heard from Lauren since June 18th. She hadn't been seen on any public cameras since June 18th. She hadn't posted on social media since June 18th. Aside from Gabby, it seemed like Cassie was the last known person to talk to Lauren. And then I spoke with her on June 18th in the evening It was about 6.30 p.m., and we had tentatively made a schedule to talk the next day because Lauren had lost her job, and I was going to help her get set up with, like, unemployment. So she was like, oh, yeah, that would be so great. So we were supposed to talk on Friday, June 19th, and then when I called her that day and sent her messages, I just never got a reply. Since this is still an open investigation and we don't have access to police files— We can only assume Detective Jones was doing everything he could to find Lauren. And sometimes that does mean getting the press involved. On Monday, June 29th, 10 days after Lauren's disappearance, the local news channel, Wink News, covered the story. They put up an array of Lauren's pictures, gave a brief overview of the case, broadcasting live from Four Freedoms Park, of course, and asked the community for help. Help would be on the way shortly, but until then, it was up to Lauren's family to keep searching. Chapter 5. The Shirt Off Her Back On Wednesday, July 2nd, nearly two weeks since Lauren disappeared, Cassie, Lindsay, and Matt continued their search. They started in Four Freedoms Park, as a nod to Lauren, since she always started her day in that park, but also... That park was now the last definitive place they know she was. If the found purse, keys, and shoes could be taken at face value, of course. We decided to like head down to Cape Coral, and I 
had suggested to like Lindsay and Matt, like, why don't we just start at the park and really walk around and try to get Lauren's perspective, like what she would see on a daily basis, like kind of just like look at the world like she looked at it, look at the area like she did, see if we see anything that's weird or stands out or like creepy people or anything like that. So we started at the park. We walked the entire perimeter of the park. We searched everywhere, like bushes, like just looking for any kind of evidence or trace of Lauren or anything. But for all their efforts, they came up empty handed. We went to a lot of people's houses and like showed pictures, showed flyers, said like, do you know this girl? Have you seen her? Have you seen her recently? When's the last time you saw her? And we did that for hours, like two or three hours. Then like we had decided to call it a day and I was like, all right, like we had parked over at the park. I'm like, let's just walk back over there. And we were like, okay, let's just like walk around the park one more time. You know, at the edge of the park, there's this tree that kind of like overhangs and there's like a dock that has like a space between it. And I just like wanted to look there. I started walking that way and Matt and Lindsay were behind me. And at that point, Matt goes, what's that? And Lindsay starts running and she's like, Cassie, Cassie. So we both start running towards it. I said, look right there. There's a shirt. <laughs> Clear as day. And Lindsay went running and picked it up real fast. Like, wait, don't touch it. Don't touch it. She said, this is her shirt. And it was the burgundy shirt just laying in the sand. It wasn't buried in the sand. It wasn't wet. wasn't dirty. It looked fresh. I mean, if Lauren went missing on the 18th or 19th, there's no way that that shirt had been laying there for 10 days without any of us seeing it. We'd go to that park two, three times a day, every day. It wasn't even there earlier in that day. Me and Cassie were there every day, twice a day. That shirt was never in that sand, ever, ever, ever. And we actually did a news thing there where they set up right there where the shirt would have been with their cameras and all, and there was no shirt there. It was clear as day, one of her favorite shirts. There's so many pictures I found of her wearing it. And her size and her, I mean, everything. I mean, it just I, well, exact I remember same shirt. going to the mall and getting that shirt with her. I knew it was her shirt immediately. So what was so bizarre to me is like, how did we miss this before? Detective Jones and forensics arrived within 10 minutes to do a forensic sweep of the surrounding area. They bagged the shirt for DNA analysis. I swear to God, Victor is walking up the water, you know, up the shoreline, walking the dog with sunglasses on, watching us. Remember, Victor was like a stepfather, like part of the family. I see a guy walking a dog right by like where we are. And I look over at Detective Jones. I'm like, that's Victor. And he's like, yeah, I know. And then Lindsay walked over to Victor and he, she was like, hey. He even said, hi, Victor, guess what? We found more in shirts. Like didn't ask like what we were doing, didn't ask what we found. Literally just like beelined it to us and then beelined it away. You have us standing there looking at a shirt. Obviously, forensics there. Obviously, he knows who Detective Jones is at this point. He's knocked on his door a few times. He knows who all of us are. And you just, like, walk right by us as, like, we're finding evidence. It was especially strange, given that Victor was not usually this standoffish when it came to Anne's children. But let's get back to the bigger issue. Why were Lauren's belongings, with the exception of her cell phone, at the park? I look and there's a camera facing right where the shirt is on this public building. I can't remember what kind it is right by it. So 
we asked Detective Jones, said, well, go watch that damn camera. I mean, you sit on the camera and keep rewinding. You're going to see how the shirt got there. To me, it felt like the shirt was planted. It almost felt to me like somebody knew what our moves were that day. Like to walk through a park and then to walk around for hours and then to come back and it just be laying there. It's almost like somebody was like messing with us. Chapter 6, The Search The case was now more frightening to most of the family, but more interesting to the community, and more newsworthy. Sure, women go missing, but here and now, there was a true mystery, complete with evidence appearing out of thin air. Wink News ran the story entitled, New Clue in Search for Missing Cape Coral Woman. In the story, they detailed the newly discovered shirt. A new clue in the disappearance of this Cape Coral woman. Police say As a result, other news outlets picked up the story, and Lauren's case got the momentum it needed. Perfect Strangers took an interest in helping to find this missing and endangered woman, and a public community search was organized. Meet Danny, one of those perfect strangers who came to be one of the most prominent searchers and event organizers. Hi, my name is Danny. The first time that I heard about Lauren was on one of the news stations that I have on my Facebook page. And she was a local girl in Cape Coral, about 15, 20 minutes away from where I live. And I just felt compelled to go to the search. I was close proximity to my home. So I just felt that that was the least I could do to help because if it was someone in my family, I would really want people to participate, whether I knew them or not. And so that's why I went there. And the fact that it has involved into what it has, and I have been able to be part of this, it's special, it's bittersweet. And I feel that it was a calling from Lauren. There's a reason for me to be here. The first public organized search was July 7th, 2020, two and a half weeks since Lauren's disappearance. Danny arrived ready to hit the ground running. Little did she know that she would become a key part of Lauren's search efforts. When I went to the search, along with everyone else, we had certain places to go look. And about halfway through the search, I met her sister, Cassie. And we hit it off, you know, in a super unfortunate situation. And from that day forward, her family and I have just become super close. While Lauren's friends, sisters, father, and complete strangers like Danny were taking an interest, passing out flyers, going door to door to ask questions, there were three people who were absent from any of the organized search efforts. Her mother, Anne, her mother's boyfriend, Victor, and her boyfriend, Gabby. So the first public search that we had, Victor showed up and only showed up to talk to me for like a minute and then try to badmouth Lauren. But he didn't actually go out and search. He was just there for like the meetup and then he left. I mean, the meetup was across the street from his house, but still. Victor returned to his apartment across the street from Four Freedoms Park. But soon the search would come to him. 
after the search, which was about two, two and a half hours, we were ready to leave. And I said, I want to go to one more place before we go. And I want it to be in close proximity to Four Freedoms Park. So I looked at the apartments across the street and I said, I'm just going to pick one. I'm going to bring the flyer. I'm going to ask them. And then that's it. And for some reason, it led me straight to Lauren's mom's house and her boyfriend, which is super random, but then it kind of gave me a sign like I was supposed to continue looking for Lauren. I met Victor and I said, hi, have you seen this person? Her name is Lauren DeMolo. She's been missing and I didn't know who he was. But the first words he said was, I am Lauren's dad. It was strange. He said that her mom was in a wheelchair and that's why she couldn't participate in the search. The part about the wheelchair is true, but she was in a wheelchair voluntarily. We'll explain this more a little later. He said that they were both devastated and they had absolutely no idea what had happened and that they wanted to find out what happened. And he said that he did not know the search was occurring that evening, and had he known, he would have participated. Except he did know about the search. Just two and a half hours earlier, he was there at the initial meetup, speaking to Cassie. And then there was Gabby. Or actually, no, there he wasn't. So the first public search that we had, Gabby did not show up. Gabby had told Paul that he was searching on his own. I said, uh, did you go looking for her? He's like, yeah, I went to a couple of stores on the way home and stopped to see if she was in there. I even looked under the bridge. I was like, what does that mean, dude? Victor gave Danny another reason Gabby wasn't there. I asked why Gabby, Lauren's boyfriend, you know, off and on for four years, had not been involved in the search. He said that it was because his daughters were in town visiting him and he didn't want them to see him crying. I assumed at the time they were super young and, you know, at that time I didn't know one way or another. Later, I found out that Gabby's daughters were much older and certainly could have handled and understood their dad being super upset with the woman that he had been with for four years was missing. So that was kind of odd to me. Victor also said that Gabby had been kind of doing his own searches in North Fort Myers and things like that. For years, even before Lauren and Gabby started dating, Gabby had been almost a permanent fixture at Anne and Victor's place. And now, he'd taken his TV out of his shared apartment with Lauren, and he was avoiding almost everyone. When Lauren went missing, Gabby stopped coming over. Victor and Gabby have been on kind of the same trajectory as far as evasive to the family, no longer being forthcoming with any information or even talking about Lauren or really being available in any capacity for no apparent reason. And then also, I mean, working with your brother from time to time, not even talking to him at work. I mean, why all of a sudden yeah. is it, there's this divide there that we never really got answers for. Jeffrey said it was very odd working with them. They would 
like pretty much ignore him and just work on other projects where before Lauren went missing, they were all really, really close and they all worked really well together. Like I think Gabby was one of Jeffrey's best friends. So it's just so odd. Remember, Lauren's brother Jeffrey was living with Victor and Anne. He had moved in when Lauren and Gabby moved out. Lauren's mother also stayed pretty quiet. She hardly talked to her own family about Lauren. And when she did, it was, like everyone has said, odd. It was the same evasive kind of behavior that Victor and Gabby were displaying, I thought. All of a sudden, she wasn't around anymore. and She wasn't talking. She was really not around and not actively involved in the search or actively involved in trying to figure out what happened. She was talked about it in the past tense as if she had already died. I remember one time saying, I had six kids. Aunt Sue decided to make an unannounced visit to her sister. I had taken a ride there. I had to personally look my sister in the eyes. And I said that I would know if she was, I hate to say it, involved. It wasn't that she didn't want to search for her daughter. She was beside herself. Her heart was broken. If she couldn't make public appearances, I don't think she should be faulted for that. Chapter 7, Broken Silence. The same evening of the first organized community search on July 7th, Wink News invited Paul to do a live interview during the evening news with reporter Nicole Gabe, who had been following Lauren's story. In stark contrast to what Paul had been dealing with from Lauren's mom, Victor, and Gabby, another perfect stranger stepped up to help. As a result of seeing Paul's desperation and determination, a man from nearby Marco Island named James Edgar was inspired to help. The very next day, Wednesday, July 8th, he contributed $5,000 to the Southwest Florida Crime Stoppers Reward for information leading to an arrest in Lauren's case. His contribution brought the total reward to $8,000. James did not know Lauren or her family, but he felt connected to the story. He has a daughter, around the same age as Lauren, and he hoped his contribution would inspire others to help in any way that they could. Wink News reported his generosity that evening and also cut to Danny and others who were selflessly donating their time and efforts to search for Lauren. Fox 4 local news also picked up the story. Lauren had no way of knowing just how many lives she had touched, how many people cared. It was a bittersweet day, though. That's the day Cassie and Paul moved everything out of Lauren's apartment. Gabby, Lauren's boyfriend of four years, had been noticeably absent from the organized searches and kept mostly silent, even as Lauren's case started to gain more traction. But then, for the first time on July 10th, Gabby broke his silence and gave a public interview to Wink News. We reached out to Wink News for permission to share the interview in its entirety on this podcast, but they declined. Though, if you're interested in hearing it for yourself, you can find it online with a quick Google search. In summary, here's what Gabby told them. He said his belief was that Lauren's friend got her messed up on drugs, and after that, something happened. He went on to say that he was worried and scared. Not scared because he didn't do anything, just worried something did happen. 
He said he didn't think Lauren left on her own because she would have at least taken some of her personal belongings with her, like her makeup or toothbrush. He also said that he had spoken with police and passed a polygraph. So Gabby's theory is that her friend got her messed up on drugs and something happened. He will actually later contradict his own theory about her being on drugs, but we'll get to that. As far as the results of his polygraph, these results were never confirmed by police. While Gabby attempted to deflect involvement in Lauren's disappearance, Lauren's angels, as they now call themselves, aspired to reflect. Reflect on Lauren. Reflect her image out to the world. And a candlelight sunset vigil was organized for July 12th, 2020. 23 days missing. Danny helped to organize the vigil, which, of course, was held in Four Freedoms Park. Another girl who had been involved initially, she was the one who scheduled the first search. She and I had started talking uh, about a week, maybe two prior, and we were really passionate and dedicated to finding out what happened. So she asked me to co-host the event. She had the pastor from the Cape Coral Police Department come and he said a prayer prior to the vigil. Dozens gathered on the beach in Four Freedoms Park, but one person stood out. We had the vigil and I invited our mother and I invited Victor and I invited Gabriel and Victor showed up. My mother did not, but it's my understanding it's because she was ill and Gabby did not show up. (laughs) Victor showed up at the vigil. I told my daughter Cassie he better not come within five feet of me. I said, if he does, bad things are going to happen. And he didn't. He waved to me once. I just stared at him like, you got to be kidding me. But he was only there to see who was there, you know? He was just, I had somebody watching him. He didn't even know he was taking pictures and taking videos of everybody that was there. I was actually really surprised that Victor would show up to the vigil because I don't really feel that he was welcomed. But, I mean, it was open to the public and by all means. But I also feel like he was there for a reason. And I don't think it was like a wholesome reason. As an outsider, with little knowledge of the family dynamic, Danny also noticed that Victor was behaving in a strange way. When Victor came, he just kind of stood in the back and he kind of came after it was over. So there are only a very small number of people still there. Cassie, her dad, myself and uh, a couple of other people. I'm not sure who they were, but he was just kind of sitting in the background. He didn't speak to anybody. I believe Lindsay, Lauren's sister's daughter, was kind of like sitting next to him or on his lap. And Paul had said, you know, he better not come over here. or You don't want to see what's going to happen. I had just met Paul, so I I really knew nothing about the family or or Lauren or any type of dynamic that I was to find out later on. Victor just kind of hung around in the background for a long period of time, not speaking to anyone, but just kind of walking close. And it appeared like he was trying to kind of overhear what was being said. It was just really strange. He didn't speak to anybody, but, you know, strange because this guy identified himself as Lauren's dad, and then he had zero interaction with any of the people in the family. 
Aunt Sue did not interpret Victor's behavior the same way. That's Victor's personality. He's like the fly on the wall. Like, he always just, like, lingers behind you. Like, he's weird and creepy to some. But the more you're around him, then you realize he's really just unassuming and lingering in the background. But Victor's cameo did not steal the show. Hardly. Lauren was front and center. All the local news stations covered the events of the day. And Paul and Cassie again had the opportunity to get in front of the cameras, to be strong for Lauren, to ask the greater community to help find Lauren. The not knowing is probably one of the hardest things because our minds do. They just race all day, every day about like, well, what if? Or like, I wonder if, or what about? And it's like, if we just had an answer, then we could start getting some closure. On the next Complicit, the search for Lauren continues. The cops are here right now and they have dogs and they're asking us to leave our apartments and they want to search our apartments and mom's downstairs crying. Her family begins to dig deeper into her life. Just add another layer to everything. Lindsay discovered her participation in a Facebook group called It sounds like total BS. More leads surface. The woman who put together the search said, don't go there because it's bad news and we don't want to put anyone at risk. A cry for help. Her message said, I don't know what to do. I need to get out of this situation. I need help. But where is Lauren DeMolo? Thanks for listening to Complicit, a true mystery podcast about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo. If you have any information about the disappearance of Lauren DeMolo, please call 1-800-780-TIPS. That's 1-800-780-8477. Or go to www.capecops.com slash tips. Or you can text a tip to crimes. That's 274637. Tips can be left anonymously. And there is a reward currently being offered for information leading to an arrest. Be sure to subscribe for future episodes and continued developments in Lauren's case. For additional information you won't hear and can't see on the podcast, visit our website at complicit-podcast.com. Also, be sure to follow us on social media, on Facebook at Complicit Podcast, on Twitter at Complicit underscore pod, and on Instagram at Complicit underscore podcast. Complicit is a production of 7th Guest Productions and produced by Resonate Recordings. And now, here's another podcast we like, and you may as well.